The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Taste the Mediterranean through March 19th at Whole Foods Market. Save on animal welfare certified bone and beef short ribs, sustainable wild-caught sockeye salmon, and more. Find sales on Parmigiano-Reggiano, charcuterie and ground lamb. Grab an olive boule bread from the bakery. Plus, wines from the Mediterranean start at just $8.99. Taste the Mediterranean now at Whole Foods Market. Must be 21 plus. Please drink responsibly. How do you feel great on vacation? Like, really good? Easy. You go to Aruba. You'll spend your time relaxing on cool white sand beaches and floating in healing blue water. You'll immerse yourself in natural wonder and find your center on an island where things move at your speed. You won't just feel great, you'll feel relaxed, renewed, and ready for life. That's the Aruba Effect. Plan your trip at aruba.com. Welcome to Spirit of Recovery, offering support for your spiritual growth and addiction recovery. Here's Reverend Dan Beckett. Welcome to the Spirit of Recovery podcast. We are glad you're with us today. I'm Reverend Dan Beckett here with co-host Reverend Michelle Vargas. Together, we share ways that spirituality and addiction recovery intertwine and work together to support your spiritual growth on your own recovery journey. We're basically a couple of recovery nerds and ordained unity ministers sharing our experience, strength, and hope on the spiritual journey of addiction recovery. We hope that something you hear today will be helpful to you in your own recovery journey. We invite your questions, comments, wisdom, and feedback anytime. Just send an email to spiritofrecoveryunity at gmail.com. And Facebook users, you can message us from our Facebook page, Spirit of Recovery. Just click the send message button right below the banner. Please help us carry the message by following and subscribing to Spirit of Recovery on your own favorite podcast platform. Today's episode is titled, Only We Can Do Our Inner Work. Nobody else is responsible for our sobriety. We are the ones who direct, live, and own our own sober experience. In this sense, we are, quote, fully self-supporting, just as the seventh tradition guides our recovery groups to be. But in active addiction, we often tried to put our responsibilities onto others, saying things like, if work wasn't so stressful, I wouldn't drink so much. Well, excuses like this will never keep us sober, so we learn to be true to our own selves and to be self-supporting in our sobriety. Today, we want to share our experience, strength, and hope on owning our sobriety one day at a time. Wow, this is a good topic. Um, So not owning our sobriety would be blaming others, right? Yeah, yeah. that's definitely something I'm familiar with. <laughs> Let's put it that way. <laughs> um, blaming others for me is a way to take the heat off of myself from something that I, it's too painful for me to look at. Yeah. Right. So, you know, I've talked many times on this program about um, having a lot of uh, being a very shame based person, which shame doesn't mean that I'm ashamed, but it means 
um oh boy now i've gotten myself into this how am i going to describe this <laughs> uh having bad ha okay having a um inner dialogue that is you know you're no good you're not good enough you're you're not enough you're bad you're blah 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 okay so we're talking really early childhood tapes and that kind of thing yeah so and and many many of us in recovery have these types of um shame-based trauma i won't get into you know how that starts and everything because that's a whole other topic but when you're shame-based or you have a lot of shame issues um as i did and continue to in some ways uh it's extremely painful right it's extremely painful to think i'm no good or i'm not good enough or i'm bad or whatever those are not those are painful feelings and so to try to get out of that feeling i would try to shift the you know project onto other people i mean we all do this right it's just some of us do it more than other Better others, than others but yeah right <laughs> so um the good news is that as i you know over my years of recovery and such as i you know began to heal those shame-based messages um the less i had to project my stuff onto other people the more i could begin to um own my my flaws. So here, here's the thing. It's very simple. I thought that being flawed and having, you know, making mistakes was totally unacceptable because I had that perfectionism that so many of us um, have when we come into the program. So for me, it was a real learning. I had to learn that it was okay for me to be imperfect. It was okay for me to be flawed. It was okay for me to mess up that. And the way I learned that was because you all taught me that there was a loving higher power that loved me no matter what. So I had to let that love begin to seep into me and receive that love and have it begin to heal those shame-based places so that I wasn't feeling so bad about myself all the time. Then I could begin to look at what my actual flaws were. Does that make sense? That was kind of the process for me. It does, because what what I'm hearing is that it sort of gave you, I don't even know how to say this, certainly another perspective, but like a radically different way of looking at things like, oh, it's not just this. It's yeah. not just me and this. There's this there's this whole other context. And so maybe I can sort of start to take some of the pressure off yeah, and yeah. look at some of these things, knowing that it's, you know, it's not all me. There's more going on than that. And what's underneath that is actually good. Right. And, and all good, all loving um, God that supports us in anything that that it is that we need to undertake or choose to undertake to do. I can I can see that. I think, you know, the phrase that always jumps out for me and that did from the first time I heard it from the literature is a thousand forms of fear. Mm. Right. That I could identify with. And my experience of kind of putting my responsibilities on others was pretty, I mean, like a lot of things, and we say this a lot, I really didn't know what I was, that I was doing that. I didn't understand that it took right. some time to sort of see the patterns. Yeah. And then, you know, once we can see a pattern, then we have a chance to name it and then to um, accept it. And then it can begin to change and heal. Mm -hmm. But so the way that that fear showed up in me is um, like a strong fear of not knowing what's going on or not understanding how something worked mm -hmm. and it could be a social thing you know usually to do with other people that would sort of 
you know, push me in, into, into my own head, you know, as an introvert. And in if you're listening and you're familiar with the Enneagram, I'm an Enneagram five, which is in the fear triangle. And it's the, the, uh, you know, called the observer. And so sort of sitting back, freaking out about not knowing what's going on is a very uh, common place that we fives can find ourselves. So that was my experience. And then another like unfortunate downside of this fear of not knowing how things work is if I did feel like I knew how something worked, I was really attached to and dedicated to that. And so this, this sort of this need to be right, like, oh, I know how this works. I'm right. Cause I really, really need to be right. Cause if I'm not, then I'm back in that dark place that's so painful to be in. Yeah. And so it um, it sort of had this way of feeding in me. And, and we all have this, but some of us stronger than others, this need to be right, which took me a long time to sort of unwind and dismantle and um, set aside. And I don't feel um, like that nearly as much as I had in the past. So my experience of blaming others, definitely fear driven, a thousand forms of fear and clinging to an understanding of how things work really is kind of cemented that sh showing up in a need to be right. It's not pretty. Yeah. <laughs> None of this really is, is it? No. So I'm glad you brought up the Enneagram because um, that's a helpful uh framework for understanding some of this stuff so you had the need to be right i'm an enneagram three so i needed to look good yeah. i still need to look good that's like my primary concern in life is to look good it's that external validation um so if so for an enneagram three who needs to look good in order to feel safe and okay in the world admitting flaws admitting that I'm not perfect and doing something bad or wrong or screwing up and having other people see that that's like the worst possible thing that can happen to an Enneagram three. Totally. So of course we're going to do everything we can to deflect from that, to try to look good, to try to repair that. It's, it's like we're our own PR people, right? Constantly trying to do damage control and, and correct the public uh, perception of us because of this need to look good. So um, that can be really tough. One thing you said was about naming the pattern. I found that um, that's a really good start. Uh, and that just naming a pattern in yourself that you notice can take some of the power out of it. You know, it's like, um, totally. and that's really what the fourth and fifth steps are really about is sort of naming and identifying these things. I think that's why we get so much relief out of it because, so we have these things that are um, shameful to us that we don't want to look at, that we don't want to see. We all have them and we repress them because they're too painful, right? And when they get repressed, then they get all crazy down there in the shadow world and they start trying to come out sideways they're they're trying to come up and be healed but we're repressing them so the fourth and fifth step are really this process of bringing those things up into the light and naming them you know saying yeah yeah i do this thing okay big whoop you know right yeah i do this thing where i you know whatever whatever it is um for 
for all of us, but especially for an Enneagram three that needs to look good, you know, naming that thing and saying, I do this, I'm not perfect, um, is really hard, but that's also why it's so powerful. And that's where the healing really begins. Um, this program that we have, the 12 steps is just such an amazing, powerful program of, um, healing. You know, we're talking about doing our inner work of, of coming to terms. I mean, we are all flawed, you know, we are all flawed. Every single one of us has screwed up, messed up, imperfect. That's why we're human and not God. Right. And, but when you don't have a God, like I didn't have a God before I came into the program, when you don't have a God in your life, you have no sense of a higher power or relationship with a higher power. You try to be God, right? Because somebody's got to be God. So it's either going to be, you know, your partner or it's going to be whatever, or it's going to be you, you're going to try to be your own higher power. So when I came into the program and I came to know a power greater than myself, I could let that power be perfect and I didn't have to be perfect anymore. So that was the big. I like that. I don't me. know if I've ever heard that. I love that. Yeah. What you just said. What a, and that's not what a relief. To, yeah. And it's not to say, you know, in unity, we teach that we are divine expressions, but that doesn't mean that we're perfect. You know, we're divine expressions in the material realm and the material realm is not perfect you know, as right. God is perfect. So that could get a little tricky with unity folks, but you know, we learn right off in 12 steps, right? What do they tell us? All you need to know is that there is a God and it ain't you. Right. That to me, I mean, I've had to sort of work that out, like how that jives with unity principles. Sure. That doesn't mean that I'm not a divine expression, right. but it I means am not... It's not your ego mind. It's not your thinking mind is not God, right? There is yes. the divine in you, but yes. that's not your thinker. That's not the thing using words and talking and, and yeah. navigating the world. Well, and also I'm not the totality of God. I am one expression of God, right? So, yes. but there's a lot of other God expressions out there besides me. Yeah. In fact, I believe we're 8 billion now. And that's not I've, including, right. that's only humans. Right. That's not even include, including uh, animals and other plants and like, all other expressions of life. Dolphins and good, you know, all redwood kinds trees, of other ex expressions of the divine yes. in the world. You know, one thing that you said reminded me how important the group has been for me because, you know, that ability to, acknowledge like okay i'm like this yes i have a thousand forms of fear and here's how it shows up and to be able to you know i've heard that called telling on ourselves right where right. we become willing and we learn how to say things we probably never would have said before because oh, no. i'm sitting in a room full of people i'm watching them do it they're doing it and too like, yep. oh oh what a relief we we don't have to all be perfect we don't have to pretend that we've never done anything yeah that's how we learn in fact what we can do is share the things we have done and we'll all laugh at it together no one's yes. laughing at me they're laughing at themselves yes at the same as as i am what a, what a relief so healing and, and that awareness that comes from it because we, we're talking about sort of the first step on the healing path is awareness. I have to be aware of these thousand forms of fear before I have any chance of sort of intercepting or intervening in the action that those things take 
in my life, right? In my consciousness. And the second step after awareness is acceptance. And this can be really hard mm. um, because if I'm, if I'm willing to become aware of something that I really, you know, if I was telling the truth, I don't really like this right. about myself. I didn't even want to tell anyone, but okay, fine. I'm willing to, to now to share it and to acknowledge it and to become aware of it, to accept it uh, can be difficult. Now, acceptance, as we know, is not approval. I'm not saying this is good. I'm not making any assessment of it at all. I'm just acknowledging, yes, this is how it has been, or this is how it is at this moment. Because until I know that until I accept something, I, there's no way it's going to change. Because whatever I, if I resist it, it just yes. gets entrenched, yes. right? It digs in its heels. And so I have to fully accept, and and this is right there in our steps. We have to fully accept the reality of our alcohol dependence, right? If that's right. our thing, whatever our addiction is, um, in order to get in a place where it even becomes possible to uh, shift that way of being. And if I accept something, I can begin to choose differently. The, the 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 loudest example, there's tons of it. Clearly getting sober was one of them. But when it was super clear was when I quit smoking because I, I was I was sober like eight years when I quit smoking. And so I had some practice with these principles and and transforming my life. Uh, and smoking was one of those things that was super hard to let go of in the were the thing that made it most difficult is that was I could not accept it. I couldn't just say, "Oh well, I smoke, and that's how it is," because it was not okay with me. You can yeah. hear the resistance in that. Yeah. I could never quit when I was resisting it. I could never quit when I was like, "Oh man, this is terrible. I should stop doing this. Why am I even doing?" You know, all that mm -hmm. drama around it just kept it entrenched. I couldn't quit until I completely accepted it and relaxed. Like, yeah, I do smoke. This is I do have a nicotine addiction. Yes, the, here's how it is. Yep. That's how it shows up. All right. Yeah. So what? There it is. Once yeah. I could accept it, all of a sudden quitting, I'm not going to say it was easy. It became imminently doable. It wasn't even hard. I've quit so many times when it was impossible. Yeah. But when I when I set it down for good, it wasn't hard. It was pretty effortless because I had accepted it. I'm totally convinced that acceptance yeah. piece is really difficult. That's what keeps so many of us drunks drunk. Yeah. Is that exact thing. I can't accept this. Well, yeah. I can't get sober if I can't accept it. Wow. I love what you said about not resisting things. This is, these are tricky spiritual concepts because totally. it seems, you know, it seems counterintuitive. Like if there's something we don't like about ourselves, then we want to make a willful effort to change it that, you know, but that's not how it works. It would, um, you know, in unity or not just in unity, but in lots of places, you hear things like what we resist persists, you know, or um, I like to use the framework of, you know, talking about shadow elements, you know, sh uh, sort of Jungian, not that I know that much about it, but my understanding of, you know, aspects of myself that I find unacceptable that I learned as a very small child were unacceptable that I then repressed. Yep. And when those things are repressed, they become part of the shadow. And um, they can't be healed when they're in the shadow. They can only be healed when they come up into the light. I love that. Yep. Yeah. So resisting is sort of the same thing as repressing. So it's when we bring these things out and we say, yes, 
These are my flaws. That's our fourth and fifth step, right? And we find a loving person willing to hear this list of flaws and love us anyway. And that's sort of God's representative on earth. It starts to give us an idea of what it might be like to admit these, what we think are just horrific things about ourselves and have someone love us and accept us anyway. That's how we begin to get an inkling of the fact that God loves us and accepts us even despite all of our flaws possibly even because of our flaws because yeah. it's our humanity right i mean we were created as humans flawed humans the next step is can i love myself even though i have all these things yeah. can i love myself and for me that is an ongoing you know that is not a one and done this is a lifelong process of learning to love myself but it starts with the love of others in the program, in the rooms. It starts with the love of God. And then to me, the, like the final frontier is, can I love myself? So can I accept these things about myself? Um, not fix them and then love myself because I fixed them. You understand what I'm, I'm saying? I'm glad like, you that's said a, that. Yes, yeah, I do. That's a different thing. Can I say to myself, yes, I have this flaw. Yes, I do this thing. I blame others. I'm irritable. I'm impatient. Whatever it is. Can I admit those things about myself and love myself anyway? And if you don't know how to do it, because God knows I don't know how to do it. We look to the higher power and we see how it does it. I look at how God loves me and then I attempt to sort of like a mirror, take right. that love and reflect it onto myself. You know, can I love, yeah. can I let God love me through me? Cause it's not in my human ego self to love myself. Right. I have to let God love me, my higher self. You know, I, I, I have to love my human self with my higher self. I have to love my imperfect flawed self with my God self. Yeah, that's that hard. to me is the final frontier of healing, but that's where the healing really kicks into high gear. Because if we can love those things about ourselves, then they come up out of the shadow and they're healed, and then they are no longer wreaking havoc right. over just our like, life. For me, just like quitting smoking, you, you if if I can, you're given a beautiful description of that you know, that healing process that says, first, I need to become aware of it, then I need to accept it or mm -hmm. love myself anyway. Mm -hmm. And then I can choose differently. Oh, but yeah. not into only then can I choose right differently. Yeah. Wow. You know, we talked in the intro about being self supporting. So we're we are self supporting in our sobriety as individuals, just as mm -hmm. our groups are self-supporting and what what one thing that means to me that i think is tied into all this is is this knowing that i can address any issue that comes up in me what because of what you just described no matter what it is it can be healed right if i've been healed of alcoholism and uh, nicotine addiction it's like okay I, I can probably handle lots of other things too maybe that feels smaller than that or maybe if something even felt bigger than that you know i can imagine mm -hmm. all you know life 
life can get very difficult in a lot of different ways. Loved ones becoming sick, you know, somebody dying unexpectedly, blah, blah, blah. If I can be healed of those things with this way of being, you know, higher power, looking to a higher power to do what I can't do for myself, looking to the group to support me at times when I can't support myself, then no matter what comes up, I have a way of addressing it. I might be powerless against alcohol, but I'm not powerless about the decision not to put it in my body. That's mm -hmm. the difference. I might be powerless against nicotine, but I'm not powerless about the decision not to put it in my body. So I'm mm -hmm. not powerless. I can't, I do have a way to move forward mm -hmm. and it's through this program and all these spiritual principles that we're talking about this mm -hmm. way of healing. You know, there are probably a lot of ways to describe it. I just find this way very helpful, this uh, uh, awareness and then acceptance and then choose differently. Um, mm -hmm. that works with anything. That doesn't mean it's easy. And it doesn't mean just because I did it with these two difficult things, it's going to be easy for everything else. It doesn't mean that at all. It means I've been down this road. I can do this again. I know how to do the work, but I still have to do the work. Yes. Yes. And I like you and I have talked many times about sort of shifting out of this way of living that we had before, which was like a powering through on our own sheer force of our will, right? Powering through making things happen in life um, to shifting into more of an allowing, right? A letting go and letting God, allowing things to unfold, allowing things to happen. It's not the American way, right? The American way is to muscle through stuff, you know, yeah. pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. And, but that's not the spiritual way. The spiritual way is, is a releasing and a letting go and an allowing God to love us, allowing God to show me how to love myself, you know, through God's love, um, allowing the events of our life to unfold with more ease, more grace, more, more peace, you know? Um, so it can feel sort of countercultural, like it can feel like you're not doing a whole lot of anything. You know what I mean? Spiritual work is very subtle. It is. And powerful. Yes. Very powerful. Like we don't heal these things by, you know, by resisting, by forcing, by, it, it's not about effort. It's not about our will. It's just not that. that it it is like the don't... path of non-resistance and you yes. and I being team Jesus. Yes. Um, I see in Jesus, a, you know, a person who modeled non-resistance up yes. through in, including a, a horrifying death. Yes. modeled non-resistance you know and we're we we called this episode only we can do our inner work and i think what we're doing is describing like exactly what does that look like mm -hmm. how can we do our inner work and we talked about being self-sufficient owning our own sobriety this is how we do it yeah. by this very process that it, it is a healing process and that's what's i think coming out of our discussion here for sure so let's do let's move into our recovery in a nutshell uh, which is when we try to summarize you know all the stuff we just said a whole bunch of stuff if if i had to pick like three things as my top three points what might that be so reverend michelle if someone came to you and said hey uh, give me the nutshell version how can i learn to be more self-sufficient in my life in general i want to live in personal integrity that's what we're talking about Oh my gosh. Okay. That's a really hard question, but I would say that the, the, the beginning of that learning to be self-sufficient is, um, getting to know ourselves, 
right? We can't, we can't do any of this until we stop running from ourselves and using every possible addiction to get away from ourselves and hiding from ourselves. We have to start to be with ourselves and get to know ourselves. And that can be very challenging, but that's where the love of the higher power comes on board and helps us. So, um, you know, beginning to spend time with ourselves um, in prayer and meditation, whatever that is, um, that's how we begin to develop that relationship with ourselves. Then we start to take steps on our own behalf. We start to do things that are good for ourselves. And that's how we begin to build trust with ourselves, right? Yeah. I can trust myself to get myself to a meeting today, to show up and do the things I need to do. And then we do those things. And each time we do, we show up for ourselves. We show up on our own behalf. Um, that starts to build that trust. That's how we begin to become self-sufficient, but we don't, we can't get there if we continue to run away from ourselves and avoid ourselves and hide from ourselves and repress everything that we find unacceptable about ourselves. Yeah. That's how we got in this situation. Right. I think my, it is a hard question. I think my answer would, what comes to mind first is to practice any kind of mindfulness mm -hmm. and mindfulness is just another way of saying awareness, any awareness or self-awareness practice that works for you. There are lots of ways to do it. Just find one way that works for you. If someone suggests something that doesn't work for you, move on, find a different mindfulness practice that will work for you or awareness mm -hmm. practice, little things like count to 10, or I love that phrase from the literature, restraint of tongue and pen. You know, I don't have to react so quickly, just yeah. sit back and notice what's going on. That's a another awareness kind of practice. And another phrase that I've heard that I love is this, what other people think of me is none of my business. I'm going to say yeah, that for again. For an Enneagram <laughs> 3, that's a tough one. <laughs> what other people think of me is none of my business. So just being willing to take a breath, practice any kind of self-awareness or mindfulness thing that you can, and just count to 10, don't react, just stick see what happens let it unfold mm -hmm. any any and all of that uh will help us to be more self-sufficient because it's raising our awareness which is always step one in any healing that's also sort of a process of building our tolerance to being with ourselves because that's really what meditation is is being yeah with myself in the quiet. And if total quiet is too much, I highly recommend people to start with guided meditations. Absolutely. Whatever works. You know, we don't go straight to like 20 minutes of silence. That's not a smart idea. Find a uh, meditation app where all you got to do is scroll through, pick one and press play. Yep. You know, take all the guesswork out of it. But that's how we begin to spend time with ourselves and spend time with God. And that is absolutely crucial to this path of recovery yeah the foundation as always we have an affirmation for you today i am self-supporting i take responsibility for my own recovery and once again i am self-supporting i take responsibility for my own recovery well it's happened again you've given yourself the gift of another episode of spirit of recovery and we are grateful we hope you found something in all our gaveling today that you find genuinely helpful. We bless you wherever you are on your recovery journey. And as always, we invite your questions, comments, wisdom, and feedback anytime. Find us on our Facebook page, Spirit of Recovery, or email us at spiritofrecoveryunity at gmail.com. And please help us carry the message by following and subscribing to Spirit of Recovery on your favorite podcast platform. 
We're so glad you joined us today and we hope you'll join us again. And until then, don't drink like my co-host. He was a baddie. And whatever you do, (laughs) don't drink like my co-host or at least warn me before you do so I can get out of the way. (laughs) Instead, have yourself a wonder-filled week. I'm Suzanne Giesman, and if you've ever wondered about life after death or if it's possible to connect with a higher consciousness, I invite you to join me for my podcast, Messages of Hope. It's my mission to share with you that our loved ones who have passed are always with us and we are so very loved. I want to teach you how to live a consciously connected and divinely guided life. Listen here on the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network.